Bakalım tamam değil. Bye mama. You just bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Right, welcome everyone to today's episode of Mythbusters. Yay! Today we are busting the ah. age-old diet myth that in order to manage your weight, it's a simple math equation of calories in versus calories out or calories expended. Ugh. We are going to go through examples of how we hear this myth discussed. We're going to share some of our thoughts, and then we are interviewing registered dietitian Vinci Choi to bust this myth. The most frequent places I hear this myth discussed are when it comes to trying to teach people how to eat in order to help them lose weight or get healthier. P.S. I don't teach people how to do either of those things. The myth is that by knowing the caloric amount of your food and monitoring your total caloric intake throughout the day, coupled with exercise to burn a certain amount of calories, you will be able to do some simple subtractions. And I can tell you after homeschooling my third grader during the pandemic, there is no such thing as simple math. <laughs> Poor Rachel. Uh-huh. <laughs> The reason this myth is so popular is because it gives people the sense of this false control. By counting, calculating, tracking, and monitoring, bam, the solution is there. You feel amazing. This is how marketers sell the apps, the memberships, the programs. Hey, come join us. We will make something complex seem simple, and you will find control since your relationship with food, body, and movement is confusing and chaotic. But there are some major flaws in this approach that we want to share with you. So we tend to be a little bit of some research history nerds. So we wanted to give you a brief history on this myth, especially for those of you who are science lovers. So basically between 1819 and 1824, it is said that French physicist and chemist Nicolas Clement introduced the term calories. That is a French-derived term, which meant unit of heat. And he introduced these in lectures on heat engines and originally used it to describe the fluid believed to embody heat. Okay, if you can follow that, keep going to 1890. I mean, I'm just picturing a bunch of guys in a lecture hall discussing engines. I'm not quite sure how we're going to transition to food here, but let's let's keep going. In 1890, Professor Wilbur Atwater and his team at Wesleyan undertook an exhaustive study into the caloric content of over 500 foods with the intent of measuring the energy or the heat value of foods for livestock and then later for humans in order to increase more efficient human workers and a greater industrial output. 
They studied this in the agricultural department in nutrition science as they began to ponder if better fed workers would produce more efficiently in the factories and engineering projects. This led to studying and assigning numbers to describe what foods produced what units of energy. This remained largely unfollowed until World War I, when the FDA suddenly started promoting rationing food to help the war efforts and taught the general public about calorie swapping. Fast forward to 1918, an American physician and author, Lulu Hunt Peters, wrote the first diet book targeted towards American women with the idea that calorie counting was an effective means for enacting healthy weight loss. And alas, the first diet book was born. Damn you, Lulu. (laughs) Interestingly, as I was reading all this, I'm noticing that the history of dieting starts as a formula used in math by men and then becomes a way for women to lose weight. Mm, I'm seeing some patriarchy Uh. here. All right, so Tina, can you share your thoughts about why this concept that is based in science and physics and agricultural studies does not really work for the human body, even though we try to make it transfer to that? Yes, and I could literally talk about this for hours, and to prevent this from being a nutrition degree, I'm going to simplify it. So our body's main goal is to, quote unquote, save our lives. So it's going to adjust depending on the amount of food that you're giving it and the amount of energy expended because it's trying to save your life. I feel like for starters, we need to go off and explain what actually makes up our metabolism. So I'm going to list a few. Age, genetics, gender, height, weight, hormones, daily activity, thermodynamics, which the amount of heat required to support the body, climate, and many, many more. So I'm going to give you an example of what the hell this all means. So let's say that your body is within an equilibrium, meaning that you're eating enough nutrition for your body and engaging in joyful movement and understanding that this is a range that changes on a daily basis. But either way, you're within this equilibrium. Now, let's say that you went to a doctor and were given some weight-centric advice, or your friend is dieting and you feel like you want to engage. As a result, you start to go on a diet and begin to deprive your body of food and increase your physical activity. Well, if your body needs a range of A to X calories, and you are depriving it that amount and forcing it to engage in more activity, then it's going to shift aka lower, to preserve your life. And knowing that if it shifts to preserve your life, then something has to suffer. These items that suffer are your hormones, your heart rate, your lung capacity, your blood flow, which means your oxygen flow, neurotransmitters in your brain, so your mental health, etc. You may also notice that you're going to be tired more, Notice that you're more moody, that you aren't building muscle like you used to. But hey, guess what? You lost weight. Yay. No, you're most likely going to be losing water mass from your muscles. Or you are eating your muscles as a result of your metabolic needs shifting down. And ultimately, I don't know about you, but I don't want that. Yeah, I think people don't understand how much their body is suffering and sacrificing in order to, quote unquote, just have this weight loss. So many people's bodies do shut down in ways that they don't even realize it's happening. And that's a lot of the things that we help educate people on in our 
work together. I'm assuming you do, Tina. I know it. It even comes up in my practice as well. Yes. All right. So again, I'm the therapist here, so I'm going to throw it to Tina. What should we do with food labels then? Because aren't those little food labels with those little calorie numbers and all that little charting? Isn't that just simple science? Yeah. I think... I want you all to remember that a food label is designed as medicine for an individual. And if you don't need that medicine, this label is not for you. But I'm going to break it down because there is some confusion about portions on the food label. So what is the serving size and how do we know what to eat? We live in a society where ultimately you look at a box and let's say it's a cookie box and it says serving size, two cookies. But are you going to eat those two cookies? Just those two cookies? What if you want one? What if you want five? That serving size isn't saying that, hey, you can only eat two cookies in this one sitting or else you're overeating. It's saying that per this two cookies, we did this quote unquote extensive scientific experiment and here's the information in these for these two cookies. So there are really a lot of mixed messages out there, which has really impacted people's ability to listen to their internal cues and eat intuitively. But I think the point is that it is confusing. It will say two cookies and the cookies are the size of half dollars. And then you'll go to the movie theater and a small popcorn and a small soda is the size of your head. Yeah. So I think the mixed messaging makes people be like, should I look at the food labels? What is a portion? What Mm -hmm. is a serving size? I'm so confused with the mixed messaging. So that's what I'm hoping you're able to share with our listeners today. Right. And that's why I'm saying... That is not medicine for you, right? You don't need to go to the movie theater and look at the food label and be like, oh, I can only eat this amount because that is not your medication. Your medication is tuning in, listening to your body, seeing what it says, or just enjoying the fact that you're at a movie and you're having a joyful moment and maybe emotionally eating because that's what we do at the theater. We eat popcorn and candy and enjoy ourselves and as long as that's a moment that's special for you that's fine well I think you bring up a good point and that is your job is the same no matter what to listen to your hunger and listen to your fullness even if you're given a massive serving size somewhere else or if you're given a cookie box and having to choose the cookies out of the box your job is to listen to your body which will mean getting more than maybe the label says or pushing away the serving. It depends, but your job is always the same no matter what the serving, the portion, Mm -hmm. the setting, the environment. Now, I want to acknowledge the individuals that may need this medication. I think that ultimately that information can be really hard to swallow. And if you're needing that guidance and support, I would recommend scheduling a session with a registered dietitian or someone that can help you. Additionally, please know that this is a a range. It's a guide. It isn't the end-all, be-all. It's really our nutrition is designed as a spectrum, as a wide range of things. So as a result, are you eating, are you nourishing your body as a whole We don't need to look at these specifics and and shame yourself for eating one cookie over the quote-unquote serving. Um, I'm also neglecting the individuals that have to provide themselves with insulin and, and do need to look at 
carbohydrates or nutrition on the food label, um, I hope you have a support team that can assist you with that. We're just providing general education here. Well, I think what you're saying is another angle to looking at a food label, not that you should, but if you need to or whatever, is that this is just the information they're giving you. They're not saying that that serving size is your serving size or recommended for you. It's just saying this serving size, there's X amount of nutrients in the food based on our units of heat studying that we've done back in the day with all of this energy and thermodynamics. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean I know your body if the food label could talk, I don't know your body. So I don't know what you need. And I don't know what you've done today. And I don't know what your your nutrition needs are. But just here's some basic little tiny pieces of science and math. But your job is to do a lot more of the intuitive eating process. Right. We don't know what that food is going to react to in your body. It's not the same as it reacts in a test tube as they're retaining all of this information that they're putting on the food label. So The main solution is listen to your body and trust your body. So we're going to dive into this even more with the interview coming up, but I do briefly want to touch on the psychology aspect because as you'll hear us discuss in our interview, we know that some people really do feel that the concepts of counting and tracking have worked for them, although almost everyone will agree it's not really sustainable in the long term. So we want to give a little bit of thoughts as to why you might feel that this is this is working for you or why this concept is so tempting. And we believe it has a lot more to do with the emotional relationship with food. We really have narrowed it down to there's multiple purposes for food, two being one is physical, the second is emotional. So Tina will touch on the physical and I'll touch on the emotional. Cool. Yeah. So the physical, some examples are knowing that we need to eat frequently throughout the day to nourish our bodies. Some of us need three meals, three snacks, and some of us need four meals and two snacks or three large meals. This is all individualized, but you need your logical mind to know what typically works for you. And there is an internal system that is communicating that to you so that you will then consume the calories needed for the energy needed. Ultimately, yes, it is important to listen to your body's signals, but we need to recognize that certain triggers can affect our physical capability. Example, let's say that you are an individual that struggles with anxiety. Well, it is likely that you're going to struggle a bit more with tuning into your physical connection and might need to rely on your logical mind when you are experiencing higher anxiety days. Otherwise, you may not eat enough food for your body. We also want to recognize that not everyone has access to food and is able to honor their physical signals all the time. As a result, logical eating may be needed to be a primary focus. If you have access to food and are able to listen to your physical signals, then this would be taking the time to tune into your body and checking in on the gentle signals of hunger and fullness. Rachel, can you tell us about the emotional? Yeah. The biggest one I want to share is that emotional eating is normal. I mean, we were born with taste buds for a reason. Food is more than fuel. It's also enjoyable. So it's okay to eat for pleasure. It's okay to eat food because it just tastes good and we want to and no other reason. I mean, otherwise, we'd all just be sitting around eating like dogs, the same food every day, dry, in a bowl, no matter whether or not it tastes good or not. So I want you guys to realize that sometimes even thinking about eating specific foods is is enjoyable because they bring up happy memories. Or sometimes it's normal, even if you're not necessarily in the mood for cake, but it's someone's birthday and everyone's sitting around eating cake, and that's okay because this brings us joy in a community. 
So one of the most important aspects of food is really to enjoy the fact that food is a gift and it is something that we are born to enjoy. Calories and calorie counting and reducing food to a simple math equation really sucks all the joy out of eating and it erases the fact that food is meant to provide pleasure and taste delicious. Taste is one of our five senses. It's a gift to the human body. And so I want everyone to realize that there is an emotional relationship to food that is completely normal and is really beautiful. All right. So as you can hopefully see here, food is complicated. And this myth that we're busting is the reason we're busting it is because this myth tries to simplify it. All right. So let's jump into busting this myth with our interview with Vinci Choi. She is a former bariatric dietitian turned certified intuitive eating counselor and a body liberation advocate based in Calgary, Canada. Let's hear what she has to say on this myth. Well, welcome to this week's Mythbusters episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We are super excited to jump right into busting the myth that we are going to do today. And I would love it if you could just start us off by sharing who you are and why you're passionate about busting this myth about calories in versus calories out. All right. Um, so I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor based in Calgary in Canada. Um, I'm also a relatively new mom of a 16 month old. Like this is the mom jeans podcast. So I have to, Yay, you know, congrats. throw yeah. my mom cred out there. Plug that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll say I'm passionate about busting this calories in calories out myth because we are people not robots and food is more than a bunch of numbers yes i always say our bodies are not mathematic equations because most of the time we are all terrible at math so thank <laughs> goodness they aren't mathematical equations right yeah exactly oh, i love it so what do you know about this myth's history or, or origination um, well, I personally don't know the exact origins of this myth, but I think a lot of us hear the messaging of calories in, calories out, or eat less, move more, like basically everywhere when it comes to weight. And now it's kind of become tied to health and nutrition. And we hear it from authority figures like doctors or health researchers or health professionals and sometimes even in health policy um, that yeah kind of kind of this idea of calories in calories out you know when it comes to weight and 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 the way that weight has now been tied to health mm -hmm. yeah we see this as recommendations right to actually be healthy eaters that we're supposed to eat a certain amount and expend a certain amount which Yikes, help us all. Well, so how do you see it being harmful then? Um, well, that may I mean, be a loaded question. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, like, you know, kind of like we were saying earlier, um, that we're not mathematical equations, we're not robots, like the whole like, so that whole premise is flawed, because it's just reducing food down to a set of numbers, whether it's number of calories or amount of nutrients or whatever it might be. And even if food was just fuel, the way that we, you know, calculate the amount of calories that are in food and calculate the amount of calories that we 
expend, like all of that is flawed as well. And so, um, and so like, we don't know the exact numbers of calories that are coming in. We don't know the exact numbers of calories coming out. And so even though, yes, there might be like an ounce of truth when we're talking about like the laws of energy or um, thermodynamics uh, um, is, is what this is based on. Um, it doesn't work in that way in the human body. And I think, you know, I think even hearing me say that a lot of listeners probably have had that experience of, you know, trying to lose weight maybe and counting calories and um, they're, you know, doing everything right and they don't lose weight or they gain weight or, um, you know, kind of the, the flip side of that too. So, I, so yeah, it's just flawed in that sense. And to me, that's harmful. And also, again, like kind of reducing that relationship with food down to being about input and outputs it ignores all the other things that food gives us when it comes to um you know enjoying different tastes and textures and flavors and learning about where our food comes from and you know different cultures and cuisines all that gets lost when we think of food as just calories and nutrients can you tell our listeners a little bit about thermodynamics? You plugged that word and I think people are listening are going to be like, I, I have no idea. Unless you're a dietitian listening, people may not really know what that is. So can you she can educate that? me, the therapist. Please the educate Rachel. <laughs> yes. For Rachel's okay. sake. Yeah. yeah. So the law, the law I, oh man, I, I, I probably even have to like Google what the laws of thermodynamics are. Um, but, but I think the main one is that, um, energy can not be created or destroyed it only like transfers so like so the law of thermodynamics it's, it doesn't necessarily talk about humans but it just talks about energy in general so it's it's a it's more of a chemistry thing um and uh, and so and so it makes sense when we're talking about say like different chemicals and how they interact. Um, but when, yeah, when we're talking about food and, and humans, that's not necessarily how the energy gets transferred or um, it does, but it doesn't, but it's not that straight calculation of like, okay, if I have like X number of calories, this means it's going to turn into like, you know, the same number of calories in our, in our bodies, if that makes sense. <laughs> that wasn't a good explanation. Sorry. No, it's fabulous. I think, well, so there's been studies done where scientists and researchers have tried to prove calories in versus calories out. So they're taking individuals, basically locking them in a facility and trying to get their, you know, calories burned versus calories in at zero. And what they have found is exactly what you're saying, where no, it, it, they can't. Even in such a controlled environment, these researchers and scientists can't get someone's body to an exact zero because there's so many things that make up how our body utilizes energy. And so would you mind speaking to how our body actually uses energy? So we're busting myth and saying, hey, this is not true. Would you mind speaking to then how it actually does work or a general aspect of that? Sure. Okay. So maybe one way to um, talk about this is like, I think 
when it comes to how people are familiar with like how much calories our body uses or those estimations um often like often a lot of the calorie counting apps out there use like predictive equations um, that are typically based on height weight age and sex so basically what these formulas are saying is that like your your energy needs are just based on your height, weight, age, and sex. And then oftentimes they add like a physical activity factor in as well. So like it's saying, okay, like these are the five things that determine your energy needs. But in reality, it's so much more than that. Like, so it's not, and, and we know that, like, we know that if we put like a bunch of people who are the same height, weight, age, sex, together they're not going to burn the same amount of calories just because i think there's probably a genetic component in there um, body composition is probably going to be a factor in that um, and also when we try to lose weight um, we know that there are studies that show that different um, sort of things kind of kick in because our bodies don't want to starve to death right and so like when we restrict our eating whether that is through dieting or through like you know kind of if we're thinking back in well not even back in ancient times or like if it's a food security issue and you're not eating enough what our body does is that it kicks in mechanisms to try not to starve to death so how it does that is it what it does is it slows down our metabolism and it increases our appetite hormones and so that like when we finally do have an opportunity to get enough food we have more of an appetite and we tend to eat more to make up for those calories that we did get in and those are things that are not considered in those equations that supposedly tell us how many calories we burn in a day great answer i think it's so important for people to hear that because you touched on that in your last answer when you're talking about like sometimes people will like try to decrease their calories and then they'll gain weight and i've heard people say that when they've dieted like i tried watching all this stuff and then i i gained weight for some reason or i hit this quote-unquote plateau and and they're so confused so i'm glad you kind of helped us bust that myth that it is this simple math and your body will respond in a very exact way but my question is i have a feeling people are going to want to know why they can't trust that little calorie number on the label like why is that calorie calculation that number flawed because you hinted about that earlier and i'm I think people are going to want to go, wait a second. So it's not just this number that I can trust. There's more to it. So could you bust that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually been interesting studies that um, show that I think even food labels, I don't know if this is just the law requirement or whatever, but like they can, I think there have been studies that show that they can be up to, I want to say 20% um, different from what is on the label. And I mean, how these numbers get calculated can be very different. So I think both the American government, so like the FDA and um, the Canadian government, like they have nutrient databases of like sort of different foods and how those were calculated is they take like 100 grams of a certain food and they like do do those 
do the experiments that like I think created this myth of calories in calories out in terms of like they call them um, bomb calorimeters and it's this idea of like when you combust like this certain food and break it down to those components it releases a certain amount of energy and that's kind of how they calculate like the calories that are in a certain food but then like when you're when you take that same food and you put it into the human body like our human bodies are not going to interact with that food in the same way that like a bomb calorimeter in a lab is going to um and so and so yeah so the governments have like created these databases and so oftentimes with food labels I think sometimes if food companies have the budget, like they might do the same thing in terms of breaking down like the nutrients of their food on the on the label. But most of the time what happens is that they take these databases um, like that list the diff the different calories and nutrients of um, the different ingredients and they just like calculate it based on like these ingredients. So it's not even of like the food itself. It's just like, okay, my product has these ingredients in these amounts. I'm just going to look them all up and put them all together. And that's how they come up with, you know, the nutrition facts table. And then also like with the nutrition facts table, they can round up and down depending on what it is. So you'll notice that like when you're looking at the calories of a certain food, it always ends in a zero or like I think certain grams of other nutrients always end in like five or zero. So, um, so it's because they're allowed to do that rounding. You're right. It's not like 123.75. <laughs> no, right. Where, when You're have we right. ever seen a science experiment be so exact, right? And this kind of flows off of what you said in the beginning. We are not robots, right? And so what we're doing in a lab is not going to react the same way that it does in our bodies. I always, we need to recognize that, yes, food labels are necessary for certain individuals that require that quote unquote medication, right? And I call food labels medication because there are going to be some individuals that may need to use this information for their safety, let's say, for their health, whatever. But for the majority of the population, no, you're taking the wrong medication. You don't, you don't actually need to know how many calories are in food because we don't need to calorie count. We don't need to try to control our bodies because it is a complicated system. To Tina's point of some people will tell you they need to look at numbers. Some people who swear by certain calculative diets or apps or something will say they quote unquote need to because otherwise they are out of control or they need to know those numbers or they need to have that security of that math. So I guess, I don't know, my thought is like, I think it's interesting for you to say that it's complicated, but what about the people who say, but I need this? Like, what would you say to those people? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And sending so much compassion to all those people as a place to start, because I think there are so many people like that. Um, I think because, and this is something that I've said, even from, I think, a very young age, we've been taught to rely on external cues or external benchmarks to help us feel in control or help us feel on the right track. And I think oftentimes 
um, one thing that I kind of get curious about is like, where are our internal cues coming in? So when someone tells me, you know, I really need to know, like, the, the amount of calories that I'm eating, otherwise I feel out of control. I, that's when I kind of get curious about, well, like, how do you know when to start eating or how do you know when to stop eating? Because oftentimes what this tells me is that they've probably lost touch with their hunger and fullness cues and i think off and the work that i do often with folks is to help them start kind of trusting those internal cues that they have so they don't have to rely on these external cues that are often not accurate for their bodies to begin with right i was almost going to respond and say do we have time for a whole therapy session right because like this is something that's so much bigger and um, opening up the door for this massive therapeutic component of being like, what else is going on in this individual's life where they feel like they need control and the, and in certain individuals, the easiest access is food mm -hmm. and food for control. Yeah, so absolutely. I love that you bring it in as like, as a young, as starting from a young age, we're inundated with this information and it flows us into the next point of like, how can we as parents support ourselves in challenging this myth. So we're not passing it on to our children because we know that children are sponges and they're soaking up the food environment that we are putting them in, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just want to start off by saying that, like, I know parents are all trying their best with like the resources and the information that they have. Like one of the things that I've definitely seen is parents feeling a lot of guilt around, say, if they have a history of dieting or history of disordered eating and this fear that they're going to pass it on to their kids. Right. Because, you know, it is true that that our kids are sponges. And even if we don't tell them explicitly to diet, like they, they do see us. Um, and at the same time, I just want to assure folks that like our relationship with food or our relationship with our bodies, like it doesn't have to be perfect in order for our kids to have a good relationship with food. Cause that's a fear that I hear a lot as well. It's, it's kind of like if I am dieting or if I have an eating disorder, you know, like, how can I keep my kids from that? And like, you can, you know, still be in recovery, or you can still not be getting it 100% right in order and you're, and you're going to do fine by your kids. So I just want to start by saying that. And I would say, um, to answer that question, it really depends on where you currently are at with your relationship with food, right? Because we do have the people um, who like kind of Rachel just mentioned who are just, who are, you know, still actively counting calories or points or macros or whatever they're counting. And like to even hear this idea of letting that go, like that's scary for them. You know, we also have people who might be, you know, further along and they're like, okay, like I know about say the ideas of intuitive eating, or I'm, you know, I want to, I've start, I've you know, I'm not counting calories anymore, but I still have a lot of rules around food. Um, so it really depends on like where the parent <laughs> itself is at. Um, and, and so I would say, I would say it's really, hmm, 
a good place to start is kind of, I think what I was saying earlier is to think about your reasons for eating or like what, yeah, kind of what dictates your why for eating, you know, are you noticing that you tend to eat based on external sort of cues or messages, or are you eating more based on inner internal cues or messages? And, you know, um, I don't think it's okay to be a hundred percent like one or the other, but it's kind of like, how do we kind of marry that? I think most people are going to be tending more on the external side. And so it's kind of like, starting to question some of these external kind of messages that we have for our eating. And it's kind of like, where can we start bringing in more of that inner wisdom and our inner internal cues when it comes to, yeah, how we make our decisions around food and, and around eating. And yeah, just kind of starting there, starting to question some of these external messages and really figure, figuring out are, how are these serving me? Are these helpful or not helpful? And starting to let go of some of the things that don't feel helpful. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that check-in of like, how are these behaviors, values, and thought process, processes that I'm engaging in serve me, right? And if it's actually causing more chaos within myself and within the family, then it is something to really try to figure out how to shift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that answer as well because I think it is exactly why the two co-hosts of this podcast <laughs> are a therapist and a dietitian. Like this is this relationship with food is not just science and it's not just emotions. There is this beautiful dance between it. And the people we bring on are always going back and forth and back and forth in their professional work in making sure that both ends are looked at. So the bottom line is this calories in versus calories out is the math only, the science only. And so what we're talking about is that it's not that. It cannot be that, that there's just, it's not possible. It has to include the internal cues and the intuitive eating and getting back to the emotional, social, family, psychological work as well. All right, so a mom or a parent is doing this work, they're doing their best, then what happens if their child comes home and asks about this? And this happened to me. My son picked up a bag of candy and said, well, what's this number? What is cal calories? He's learning to read. And it, it, it happens. So how can a parent have this conversation using kid-friendly language if the child brings this topic up at home? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and this is such a tough question. So I should preface, maybe I should have prefaced this a lot earlier, <laughs> but I personally don't have any experience in pediatric nutrition. Um, like, you know, I've always worked with adults like my entire career, like including dietetic internship. I didn't get a peds rotation, um, but I have been learning lots from dietitians and therapists who do have experience working with kids. Um, and one of the things, and I think this is really in um, Anna Lutz and Catherine Zavodny's work is talking about like, yeah, kind of the idea of age approach appropriate education. And like, we know that especially younger children can have really black and white thinking. And, um, and, and so like talking to them about calories or nutrition, like it, 
it doesn't work because it can really, you know, go over their heads. And, and it, it's tricky because I know that like even teachers who, you know, are maybe just trying to follow the health curriculum or, you know, maybe they have some of their own struggles with food and, and weight and health kind of themselves, you know, they, they're well-meaning, but they even introducing language like, you know, play foods or grow foods or that or sometimes foods like that still can translate to like good versus bad in in kids heads um and so and so we really ideally don't want to be introducing um you know kind of like the calorie talk or nutrient talk until kids are in you know middle school or or even high school but then um you know now like i i heard a lot of middle school high school age children are getting calorie tracking assignments or like they're getting weighed in phys ed but anyway i'm going on a tangent so i guess going back to your initial question about like what if yeah kind of your younger kid is learning how to read and they're like what is calories and so i think one of the ways um to maybe introduce that is just to just say like you know this these labels are just sort of giving us some information about what's in our food and and just kind of leaving it at that or you know talking about calories as a source of energy and like and it's giving us energy to grow to play to work to live you know and and thinking of calories in in that way and not you know just kind of thinking of it in a transactional like weight sort of way um and and i think when it comes to kind of some of these like you know food record or calorie tracking assignments that middle school or high school kids are getting i think it's it's advocating for them and like there is good research that shows that calorie counting can increase the risk of disordered eating and eating disorders and we know like sort of that teenage population is already at increased risk for having eating disorders so advocating for your kids and you know writing to the teachers or talking to the, to the teachers and and asking if your kid can opt out and you know sort of thinking of like an alternative assignment sort of for them um but yeah those are just kind of some mixed ideas that i have and it, i think it really depends on how old um the child is for sure yeah i think I, if we can teach about food in the most neutral way right we're sticking to the facts of like this is energy, calories are energy. What what function do they have in our body, right? They help our brains, they allow our bones to grow and our muscles to be strong and all of that things. And, and ultimately all food is on the same playing field. So keeping it neutral, yes, we need to have balance, really recognizing all those angles. And then when it's coming to food labels, I think it's really being like, this is somebody else's medicine. You don't need this medicine, right? Because it's just not made for you, but they put it on all food to make it accessible for all people in case they need it. So I think coming from that angle and yes, parents, I want to encourage you to advocate for your children within your family and reach out to teachers and say, my, my family, we don't believe in um, the assignment that you provided. Is there an alternative? Cause I feel 
it would be harmful for my child to actually track their food or this assignment that is saying good, bad food or categorizing these foods. Um, I, I'm requesting an alternative. And most teachers are totally accommodating and willing to provide something um, in addition to what, you know, they're really just being assigned. So um, thanks for sharing that. Well, so this is short and sweet. We thank you for coming on. We want to kind of guide listeners to be able to find you. So can you share where they can find you and kind of plug yourself here? Sure. Um, so my website is vincichoy.com. So my name is not spelled how it's pronounced. <laughs> so it's V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I.com. And I'm on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at VinciRD. So V-I-N-C-C-I-R-D. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming thank on you. and sharing your wisdom. We so appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. That is a wrap on this episode of the Mythbusters series, and we hope this information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guests' information. And if you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.